Good morning. A little chilly. Last three days in California have been cold. 7 a.m. The Sevon podcast. I was talking to myself for the first 50 seconds without having my face on the screen. Got new software. We're now using StreamYard. All the feedback has been fantastic. We were on Riverside. Man, StreamYard is the next level. It's crazy, 160, 170 shows in, and we just upgrade software, and everything changes. It's nuts. It is absolutely nuts. I'm proud of us. Me and Souza, Matt Souza, owner of CrossFit Livermore, fabulous guy, got me on this kick. Man, how many shows? 172 shows ago? Actually, he came. That's not exactly true. He came on board. I was probably 20 shows in. I had abandoned the podcast and. He, he, along with my wife, got me back. And uh, Sousa hasn't stopped holding my hand. I talk to him every day. I bug him. He schedules all the appointments for all of the guests, including this one that will be here any minute, right? <laughs> Philip Rowe. This guy uh, on October, let me double check. I think on October 23rd. Looks like a Saturday. That looks like a good day for it. He's battling Gordon Ryan, arguably the greatest practitioner of jiu-jitsu who ever lived. Pretty crazy. It's been fun researching this podcast. I watched so many jiu-jitsu matches. I thought I would watch it a lot before. I hadn't seen shit. Holy cow. What a scene. What a scene. If you want to get into that scene, start with the... um. Start with the Daisy Fresh uh, videos. Just go to uh, YouTube. There's a company called Flow Grappling that makes the videos. And type in Daisy Fresh Season 1 and just start watching that reality show. It's a little rough. It's raw. But uh, it's probably one of the most real things I've seen. Um, it, it's got none of the PC uh, woke editing. It, it's, um, it, it's basically a story about boys who were... Boys who had a who who lives weren't handed to them on a silver platter, like really, really unique living situations for those of us who have moms and dads that take care of us. Basically, this this guy uh, Heath Pedigo rents a uh, abandoned laundromat and basically in in a Mount. Vernon, Illinois, and tells boy, and he's a black belt in jujitsu, and tells boys, "Hey, you can come here and train." And boys from all over the world start showing up and training on these in this jujitsu gym, and they basically sleep in there. And it's it's a crazy story. It's it's a it's a fairy tale story. And now I, I watched all of those, and now when I watch just jujitsu videos all over the internet, um, I, I see these guys popping up everywhere, just taking over the scene. It's kind of, it's like Peter Pan. It's amazing. Anyway, and then I have this, this I think, unhealthy um, obsession with the UFC and dudes fighting. And that's made it so that I've been leveraging my blue check mark to try to get these guys to come on the show so I can talk to them. It's kind of weird, right? But it, but it, it's 100% selfish, and uh, but fun, and I enjoy it. And, and I'm, and I'm going to take as much advantage, advantage of it as I can. Uh, one of my other tactics... 
not only to leverage the blue check mark so that these guys might think that it's worthy to talk to me, but also um, this other strategy I've been using is I know when these fighters live in foreign countries, they have to go home and they'll be in quarantine for 7, 10, 12, 14, 20 days, whatever, whatever their country does. And, uh, and so that's how I think I got Alexander Volkanovsky because I knew he's going to be in quarantine. So you poor Australian fighters expect me to hit on you. Um, in, in your DMs to try to get you on my podcast because uh, I know you're going to be in quarantine. I just saw Matt Souza sent a text, a friendly reminder to Philip Rowe to try to get him to come onto the podcast. I'm going to say something that's quite prejudice. I, I'm, I'm aware of it, but the UFC fighters are all, all I, I think they're the worst at keeping their commitment for coming on the show. Ah, that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. Danielle Brandon no-showed the show twice. Danielle, oh shit, Danielle Brandon, check this out, Souza. Danielle Brandon no-showed the show twice, and Danielle Rodriguez, a Daniel and a Danielle. Those are the people who, and, and Daniel Rodriguez is number 15 welterweight in the world. Um, and they both no-showed the show twice. Uh, GT Jiu-Jitsu, is that where your kids go? Yes, yes, Garth Taylor, yep. And what's crazy, too, what's really cool is is that um, when I interviewed Heath, he knew of Garth. And I know Garth is is quite the special man. He's uh, There's a Garth Taylor Day here in Santa Cruz, California. I know that the program there is... Um, it's weird. It's got a lot of... L- and, and I met Garth through um, Greg Glassman. Greg Glassman and Garth Taylor are friends. They have a, they've known each other longer than I've than I've known either of them. And basically Greg introduced me to Garth and we had lunch with Garth a few times over the 15 years that uh, I was at CrossFit. And then I had Garth on the podcast. And then when I had kids, more so than even doing jujitsu, I just wanted my kids to be around Garth. I really liked them. Why BJJ over other martial arts? Thinking of getting my kids into it. Uh, Amy, I, I don't know if I'm the right person to ask, but here's the two things. Three things. These are the three reasons you should do jujitsu. One, from your back, you're horribly lethal. With your back and your legs up in the air, where most people think you're vulnerable, you are you are fucking lethal as all get out. So um, I, I know some people disagree with this, but I spoke to Amanda Levy, and if you are a woman and you are a black belt and you have your fucking knees pinned to your ears by someone who doesn't know jujitsu, who's trying to take advantage of you, you that person is going to get fucked up. And, uh, and I, I can't believe how even just two or three years of jujitsu, how potent my kids are, how gnarly they are when they're f- going from their back. Uh, second reason. And I heard this from a, a guy who, um, I forget what he practiced. It was some martial art I had never heard of, but he put his kids in jujitsu because there isn't any striking in it. And he thinks it's really, really important to have control over your entire body and to be crazy disciplined before you start introducing striking. And I kind of like that. Although my kids do both striking and jujitsu, um, in jujitsu, it's, uh, you basically, those guys seem to be t- just taking control of the situation. And the third reason is because it seems like in the UFC that if you don't have jiu-jitsu, you can't win, which then by default makes me think, oh, it must be the best martial art. Meaning you, you, have, to, you have to have some sort of wrestling or ground game or grappling um, muscle manos to be the best in the world. 
So that always gave it a lot of uh, validity to me. The guy, you know, the original UFC champ, I think he won his first 10 fights. He maybe won the championship five times. I can't remember. But um, he kind of took the scene scene by storm. I'm trying to think of his name. Hoist? Hoist, Hoist Gracie? I remember watching that first UFC one. So, so, th- so that's what it is. I mean, uh, you, you know, you can, uh, the, the CrossFitter Carolyn Prevo, um, you can go to her Instagram account and see what shitload of Taekwondo will do for you. It's pretty amazing. Um, and I'm sure there's other stuff. I mean, I, w- I wish there was like Sambo here. If there was Sambo, that would be amazing. I would get my kids in that shit in a second. I think Khabib was a Sambo world champion. And, you know, he's arguably the greatest fighter who ever lived. Daniel put up a post asking questions. So I asked, oh, Daniel put up a post asking questions. So I asked her what her plans are to avoid the grocery store for the next podcast. She was a good sport about it. Yeah. She, I mean, she is a good sport. Royce Gracie, hoist, hoist. I th- think the hour sign. Fighting guys way bigger than him. Yeah. Um, you bring up a good point, uh, Wad Zombie. So this was a topic I was going to save for when I did a show by myself and I wonder if this is going to be one of those shows. Shit. Maybe I need to put in a call in number. What do you think? Susan, are you watching? How much longer do I give Philip? Oh man. Let's see if I can put in the number. here. Nine, two, eight, five, eight, three, thirty nine, Oh, three, I have this friend named Adrian Bosman. Some of you know who that is. He's been the head judge of the CrossFit game since day one. I don't know how long I've known him. Almost 15 years, I'd say. I think that, I, I, I know that's not accurate. I know it's uh, live, live call. I wonder if anyone ever calls this number when I'm not here. Pin message. Did I pin it? The live call-in number. So, so that's so so. And Adrian explained this to me that basically, oh no, that's not what I want. That's not what I want. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, unpin. I want to pin this. Um, Adrian. Adrian, I think he, Adrian was the one to explain this to me, that basically you want your friendships to be as low maintenance as possible. You don't want to put any like restrictions on your friendship or pressures. You want friendship to be easy. And I really agree with that. And I remember being in college that there were these group of girls and they put so much stress and demand. And I, and I was friends with them and they put so much stress and demand on each other, like for in their friendship shit shit that they expected their friends to do to be there for them and all this shit. And kind of one day I was having coffee with Adrian and he explained to me, no, it's not like that at all. It's your friendship should be really, really easy. Like when, if, if if you and I have a date to go get a a beer at three o'clock and you know, show like, okay, you know, showed. And and, and it's, it's helped me. Adrian explaining that to me has like, yeah, just let it go. Be like, be cool. Be the good friend. You know. Now it's my choice, of course, if I want to make schedule another beer with you. But, but I'm not going to argue with reality. You didn't show, and I'm not going to. I'm not going to let that like damage the relationship. I'm not going to make that one of the things that our relationship is contingent on. I I, I know who you are. So, 
and I, and I, and I had, I had a lot of those traits already, already. Like I, I realized that like, uh, I had this friend one time not pay me $4,000, um, and another friend not pay me $3,000. It's probably in college or something. And I just remember thinking, I'm not, people are like, how can you still be friends with them? And I'm like, because I think our friendship's worth more than $3,000. Fusion is where Phil Rowe trains or did train. Yeah, I noticed that. I think he fought through combat night here in Florida. Mitch puts on his fights. Okay. Mitch is a promoter. Mitch, did you mean Mike? Basically, Philip Rowe popped on my scene because I've been watching the Contender Series. That's another way place I think I can pick up, pick these guys off. Um, meaning you win the Contender Series or you don't. And um, and I can reach out to you. You only have 3,000 followers. You get excited because you see I have 90,000 followers and a blue check mark and you jump on an interview with me. So, yeah. I'm, so I saw Philip Rowe in the contender series and then I can't, and then I was going to, I wanted to have him on and then now he's fighting Gordon Ryan, which I can't believe I'm dying to ask him about it. What's crazy is how early I have to get up to do this show. And then, uh, and then someone no shows. We talked about Leptin. We talk about, I talked about rain boots for kids. Don't put shoes on kids that block their ankle flexion. Oh, here's something I heard the other day. In the state of California, you can be having sex with someone. But, and, and if you start having sex with them and you have a condom on and you tell them that you have a condom on, it's illegal to take the condom off without telling them. That law just passed. That's what our great governor, those are the kind of laws that our state passes. It's weird. You would think, I mean, I, I get it. I get why that's like a, a fucked up thing to do, but it, it is a little weird that there's a law around it. But also last month, it, I guess I didn't know this, but I guess in the state of California, it used to be illegal to have sex with someone knowing that you had AIDS and not telling them regardless of protection or not protection. And now they remove that law. So I could have AIDS or HIV and I could have sex with you, but not tell you. And that's not illegal. That seems kind of fucked up. I don't, I don't like any laws like just around people having sex other than like don't force them to. But since they started going down that road, yeah, I don't know. I, I just found it fascinating that you could bone someone with a venereal disease, a life-threatening venereal disease, and don't have to tell them. But... If you start with the condom, it's illegal to take the condom off without telling them. As if Newsom doesn't have more important matters to handle, ma'am. When I was in my 30s, I'm 49 now, I went to India and um, I could not believe the homelessness. It was nuts. And now it's like that here in California. So weird. I remember even like looking, thinking like kind of like putting my nose in the air and looking down on those countries when I'd visit them and their freeways would be covered with tents and shit. I'd be like, what the fuck? If I'm right, if you're right, if I'm wrong, if you're wrong, I was thinking about this. I thought about this actually quite a bit about the whole conversation around the injections and the, and just the predicament we've been in the last two years and, and, and the tolerance of what, the pressures and the rules that society has been put on under. And it's fascinating at what lengths we've gone and what expense we've gone to try to mitigate and protect people and their health. And yet none of those ways 
are, there's two things going on here. None of those ways are a long-term solution. So in the 30s, when cancer started exploding on the scene, the solution and the road we started going down has no long-term solution. And we were tricked by words. The, 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 and that road was is to think that there's a cure. But, but there's no long-term solution there. What do I mean by that? At best, if you get cancer, and, and they always say it's just in remission. So, so you have cancer and then it goes away because they gave you chemo or they did this to you or they did that to you. But we know that the cancer was caused in the vast, 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 vast majority of circumstances and lifestyle choices. And so no matter what they do to you to help you cure, cure you, and I, and I use that word not believing in its, in its meaning, it's going to come back. There's no, the, in, <laughs> ma'am. This this is going to be a tough one for you guys to get your head wrapped around. It's a tough one for me to get my head wrapped around, and I've studied it uh, pretty closely. There really is no cancer science. Cancer science is is a giant fraud. How do I know that? Because there's there's a a Begley study. I, I don't know if it's in the Lancet or in the British. I don't know where it is, but you can look it up. Look up Begley and look up Amgen, and they basically tried to recreate. I forget the exact number. Fifty four of the the main cancer studies that basically drive all cancer research to this day, the 54 like um, premier studies that have influenced scientists and, and basically given us our pathway of looking um, for cures. And of those, I, I think Amgen spent a billion dollars trying to recreate all 50 of those studies or 54 of those studies. I don't know if it was 11% or 16% were recreatable, meaning that, 84% of the information that we have, the, the, the experiments we have around cancer that, we, that, that drive the cancer movement today are invalid. And there's something called the replication crisis. If you guys haven't heard of it, you should Google that also. It is some fucking scary, scary shit. Not scary like Godzilla's out there and eventually he's going to attack North America. Scary in the sense that people believe in Godzilla. People believe in the boogeyman. People have it so, so backwards. This isn't like conspiracy or conspiracy theory or made up. The, the the actual studies that drive science research are the conspiracy theory. They can't fucking recreate these studies. That's that, by the way, for those of you like CrossFit's relaunching like this CrossFit health thing or precision care, or whatever. It's it's complete insanity. That has nothing to do with CrossFit health. CrossFit health was Greg Glassman bringing this guy Begley in who worked for Amgen, who tried to recreate all the cancer studies and couldn't. By the way, I think Bayer did the same thing. It's it's crazy fascinating. This is not conspiracy shit, people. Go look it up. It's just, it, it's science trying to do, um, check on science. And they couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't recreate like 86% of the stories. So going back to How many lives, just for just one point, there, there, there's a, a scale here. On one side, there's all the precautions we've taken to try to mitigate the damage of this virus. If, 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 and I'm making the presupposition that the virus does exist and that, and that it's dangerous. There's all the things on one side, the scale, um, the efforts we're going to take. And then on the other side, there's the cost of it. So just to give the most simple explanation, um, they wanted people to wear masks, okay? So what damage do masks do? That, 
Totally fair question. How much pollution do they cause? Does that pollution shorten people's lives? How many fish do they kill when they're thrown in the ocean? Um, how many diseases do they actually spread more of because you got mold in your fucking mask? Like, what is the cost? Right? And there's tons of things like that. So one of the things is whatever, I don't know exactly which implement it was, but on one side, they put in a bunch of rules. Let's say it was the lockdown in your house. And on the other side, 40% of Americans put on 29 pounds. And there's this scale. No one ever wants to talk about the scale every time. So you want to, um, you want to give everyone in the world, um, the injection. Okay. Everyone in the United States military an injection. And let's say there's 1.4 million people who take the injection. Right. Um, what's the cost? The cost is that 400,000 people in the military might, I'm just making this up. I don't know what the number is. 400,000 people in the military drop out. And of the million who stayed in, who got the injection, um, uh, uh, let's say a hundred of them died. And the other 990,990 are perfectly healthy. But then on this side, the other cost is, is now um, a, a country invades us because they see our military as weak. Like that discussion isn't happening, right? But it's, it's the only, in my opinion, it's the only possible way to think about what we're doing. Every action we take, what is the cost? So once we've established that 40% of the people who've passed away so far are in care facilities with an average age of, let's say, 78 years old, which is the same average age of death in the United States. And of those 40% who passed away in care facilities, sorry, of the of those who passed away in care facilities, which are 40% of the people that they're claiming died from this, this virus, what was their average life expectancy? 13.7 months. Now, of the 40% of Americans who are still alive who put on 29 pounds, how much did that shorten their life by? Do, do, do you see what I'm saying? The 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 and and now for anyone who can think even just tiny bit clearly and can just not be selfish, just just don't worry about your own death or your mom's death or your or your sister's death. Just think about the big picture of the planet. Do you, is there any way that you can rationalize what we've done to people on the planet on this side of the scale? Like how 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 did you rationalize? keeping kids out of school for two years and when they return to school, it's destroyed. I know there's some crazy people out there. I know there's some crazy people out there. There's the people who, um, who are like, Oh, my kids don't, my kids don't care if they, um, my kids don't care if they wear masks. Oh, masks don't bug my kids. Oh, masks are no big deal. Just everyone do it. I know there's people out there who think like that. They're so off their fucking rocker. It's influencing everyone in two enormous ways. Every time you wear a mask, whether you want to or not, you're screaming to the world that there's something wrong. And the second thing is, is you're normalizing it. Who knows what the health implications are? I've seen it firsthand. I've seen people like, like me who are like, oh my God, like they know the whole thing is a joke. And they know that if they don't eat sugar and don't eat refined carbohydrates, they're perfectly fine. And the second they get the sickness, they freak out because, because the, the propaganda gets to them, even though, even though they know it's bullshit. 
Sevon, why have you not tried jujitsu? Curious on your belief of leading by example for your kids. I, I fucking, that's a great question. Um, I think that leading by example is huge. And I think it's like my, my, my biggest weakness. I don't play tennis. I don't do jujitsu and I don't do skateboarding. Those are things I do. The martial arts, I have my kids practice every single day. Um, I have my kids skateboard every single day, pretty much. And I have my kids, what was the other thing? Tennis every day. And I don't do any of those. Um, I really, Brian, I had a couple back injuries when I only had one kid with Avi and they were so fucking bad that I don't want to risk that ever happening again. Whether it's, whether it's right or wrong, I am extremely hardworking. I'm super disciplined. Um, I try to set example in other ways around my kids. Uh, you know, I don't eat sugar, refined carbohydrates, even though I'm not as, is a, I'm not strict with them on it. Like I am with myself. I mean, I am strict with them on it. Don't get me wrong, but, but not like I, like they had a birthday party and they ate birthday cake. I don't do that around them. I put my training and working out above everything else. Um, so my kids see me train, they come into the garage, they train with me. Um, they see my dedication to this podcast. Um, they see my dedication and love to them. I put them pretty much before everything. So, so I, I try to lead it in, in those ways, but I can't have my back go out again the way it did. And, and it went out so bad that basically like for six months, I was just in excruciating pain. And the first week I was crawling in, in pain in the shower. It was fucked up. So I just, I'm just happy to be healthy and, and be strong. Um, I do swim with them. I swim with them three days a week, but eventually they're going to go surfing and I don't do that either. So I'm more of just a cheerleader. I'm also, I also really enjoy that. Um, I play a lot of Frisbee with the kids when I go to the beach with them, but I really enjoy just watching my kids. <clears throat> wow. That's horrible. Get that. Thanks for answering. And I agree. I thought we had the same belief. Keep it up. Yep. Are you? Yep. No problem. Uh, it's hard to tell, but definitely a lot, a lot. Numbers of the insights are pretty crazy, especially after this. Uh, I don't know what that's in reference to. If, if everyone would have 20 years ago listened to Greg Glassman and quit eating added sugar and refined carbohydrates, if they basically would have taken the, the guidelines by, um, by Greg, we wouldn't be in this predicament we were in. But imagine this, even if he was wrong, imagine all the other numbers would be so different heart disease, all the chronic disease. You'd be able to go to the emergency room with your broken arm and get seen right away. That, and that's what I mean. Like This path of changing your lifestyle, of giving things up, leads to a better world for everyone. This path of this other way, even if they're right, it just kicks the, it just kicks the problems down the road. There's, there's, it, it just seems so clear to me. It seems so clear to me. Everything that the government is telling us, everyone that the non-selfish people are telling us, it's just bad for the people in the future. It, in the, can you imagine what's going to come next? Oy, oy, oy. Uh, low maintenance friends, we talked about that. Money magnet story. I've told this story a few times, but I really like this story. So I was... I was making a movie called Pooling John. It was it's an arm wrestling movie. And I was following an arm wrestler named Mike Celieris. I was probably like twenty I'd spent all my savings on making this movie. I was probably like twenty thousand dollars in debt. And um I didn't have a job. And I lived with my mom in uh Benicia, California. 
and I was making movies and I was in New York filming this arm wrestler, Mike Celieris. And he went to one of these like self-help um, talks. And basically it was with this guy who basically he, he, for three hours you go to this room and there's like 600 other people in there. And he basically tells you that he knows how to get rich and it's three hours of that. And then if you like, if you like what he said, then you spend like, I don't know, thousand dollars and you get these 12 DVDs, right? Excuse me. So I'm listening to it and I'm basically just there. Like I, I, in my mind, I'm like, oh, this is just a scam. This is just bullshit. But I'm just sitting there listening. And, and my buddy Mike's there. And I'm there filming with him. And he's going to be one of the stars of the movie. Although I don't think he ever, he didn't, he didn't become a star of the movie. But um, the guy, the guy on stage said, said that God will always give you what you want. And he said that if you resent rich people, God will make sure you never become rich. And I was fascinated by that. I was fascinated by that. I didn't even believe in God. I don't believe in God. But I was just like, wow, that's something that that guy's saying sounds true. And he kept driving it home. He, I think he told a story like, you see a rich guy come by in a Lamborghini and you're jealous of him? You'll never get that Lamborghini. And I was like, wow. And he's on, that's the way. The, and he was basically explaining some law of attraction shit. And I don't remember what else he said, but he said something about you have to think of yourself as a money magnet. And um, I thought, okay, how can I incorporate that lesson into my life? So I I, I made sure I and, and I was basically I was raised you know in, in a in a middle class liberal home, very hardworking parents, very loving parents. Holy shit, did my parents love me? And holy shit, did they work hard? There was basically no family time. My family was just always working. And, and they were very loving. My mom and dad were so crazy affectionate and all my extended family. But, but, but basically I was just raised on TV and in the streets. And, and, uh, I was raised, I, I, I was raised in a way that basically raised taxes and resent old people. That was that there was, there was that underlying thing. It, it, it's, it's like that in California. Res, res, re, um, uh, Believe in keep raising taxes and, and stick it to rich people. They're bad. So I had that. But when I heard this guy give that like, hey, don't resent rich people, like I got it. And I just flipped the entire script in that moment of how I felt about rich people and that I was going to be happy for people who had like Lamborghinis and nice homes and and fancy dogs. And I was going to be like, not in a way to like to promote the um, status thing. Like not like see someone with a pair of Gucci glasses and, and like tell them how beautiful they are if I didn't mean it and kind of pr promote, the, like um, reward them with love for their, their kind of trying to be of a higher status, but just not be jealous of it. Just be like, wow, that's cool. Yeah. I could, I could see myself like that, having that. So I made that, I flipped that and I decided that every time I see money on the ground, I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to say to myself, Sevon, you are a money magnet. And even if it's a penny and I see it from 20 feet away and there's people standing around it, I will walk over and pick it that shit up. I don't care. And I've been places like, you know, in a parking lot and get out of my car and someone's like, who doesn't give a fuck is like dumped like a hundred pennies on the ground. You know, how like people will do that, pull out their silver money and then dump their pennies in the street. <laughs> so I'll stop and pick them all up from the day I started doing that to the present. 
all my money problems vanished. It was over. I ended up getting a job with CrossFit that paid two thousand a month. Well, first it was I worked free for a year, then I was getting two thousand a month, and four thousand a month, and seven thousand a month, and twelve thousand a month, and sixteen thousand a month. And I can't tell you where it went from there, but it was fucking great. And I, to this day, I still do it. And my kids see me do it. My kids have started doing it. And I see the neighbor pull up in his brand new f- Corvette that looks like a Ferrari. I don't know if you've seen those new Corvettes. They're dope. I say, I walk over to him and I said, dude, it's so beautiful. And it is. I, uh, Wad Zombie, this is for whoever had the idea to switch to StreamYard. Uh, Matt Suza only told me a thousand times. And then one day I was like, I was in front of my computer and I just typed in StreamYard and bam. It's scary changing. It's scary. If you guys have any questions, someone can call in. I'm not going to be on for much longer. So that's my money magnet story. I know it's weird. I, I don't even, I, but it's, it's the truth. Um, it was that easy. It was that easy. I didn't come up with any idea. I didn't come up with any like... I'm going to sell protein powder or I'm going to invent the Tesla. I just changed my mindset. Started picking up pennies. Thank you, Matt. Hopper's audio was so good yesterday. Uh, Okay. Got so many stories in here written down. I got one more story for you guys. So I met my kids, kids tennis class and there's this father who sits behind me and his kid's the best tennis player in the class. He's such a cool kid, nice kid. And he's, the kid always has a mask on. Always, 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 always. And like, like yesterday, the kid had a mask on and like there were 15 kids in the class. None of them had masks on. But anyway, and the father sits behind me and I'm guessing he's Jewish and he's like six, four, 170 pounds, tall, skinny Jewish dude, older dad like myself. I think his kid's probably like, 10 or 11 anyway and, and, and for the last <clears throat> him and his kids showed up to class like six months ago and and i've never spoke to the dad and he sits behind me in a lawn chair i don't know where phil is i don't know and, and his dad sits behind me in a uh lawn chair and then i sit in my little chair and we watch our kids anyway so last week he comes up to me out of nowhere and he goes hey uh ben really likes avi and i go oh yeah avi really likes ben and avi and avi really does like his son Oh, damn. I don't think I should have said his name. Fuck, I can't tell the story now. God damn it. I'm not supposed to say that word on the show either. Oh, I ruined the story. Okay. I'll circle back around. I'll tell that story in like a month, and I won't use names. It's a good story. It's a fun story. No, It's, it's not disrespectful or rude at all. I just don't want to use anyone's name in the story. Okay, guys. Sorry about that. Uh, 7.35 a.m. I waited 35 minutes for Philip Rowe. Uh, his last text message to me, too, was, I got you. You know, you know what I think? I, w- I wonder if what happened to him happened with John Brzezink. Like, he really doesn't think it's going to be. Um, unless it, like. Yeah, it says, uh, Matt said to him. Does 10 a.m. work for you? Because he's on Eastern Standard Time. And then he followed up and said, are we doing going Friday at 10 a.m.? And he said, yeah, brother, I got you. 10 a.m. Friday. Uh, You guys want to know who I have on tomorrow? Oh, tomorrow's Saturday. I don't have anyone. And then Sunday, I have uh, we have Guy. Hopefully, Brian will jump on that show. 
what do you guys think if Brian won't jump on? Should I invite that guy, um, John Young, who was on the show yesterday on the Rogue uh, Invitational show? So we have Guy at 7 a.m. and then I have Hobart and Kate in the evening at 6 p.m. And then and then on Monday I have a guy named Matt. God, I, I don't know how to ex- pronounce his last name. Boudreaux, Boudreaux. And I was on his podcast, and I don't know what why I've waited so long to have him on my podcast. But basically, this guy runs schools for kids, and they're basically it, it's it's a it's a reimagination of how, what a school should be and how you should teach kids, how you should get kids to learn, and uh, and I think one of his core tenets is, is is accountability and personal responsibility. And I really like him and I love all the stuff he posts. And he's friends with Ted Kennedy. I don't know if you guys know who that is, but he I think Ted Kennedy actually works with him in opening these schools. You should invite that caller from Wednesday who talked with Dave. Why? Why? Why is that? Uh, and then Tuesday I have the rapper Leakavelli, L-E-A-K-A-V-E-L-I. If you don't know who that is, you should look him up. Um, I made a post about one of his songs the other day. Um, the song was Let the White Kids Say Nigga. And uh, I think it's a fucking cool song. It takes extreme balls. And uh, so he'll be on the show Tuesday. We'll be talking about his rap music. It's a great song, too. On um, Wednesday, we don't have anyone yet. Thursday. Huh. No, wrong Thursday. Thursday, Wednesday. Oh, shit. Wednesday, we have Paul Lynn. So I had John Brzezink on the show, and John said he's going to have a super match with the second best arm wrestler in his weight class in North America this coming weekend. So I found the guy he's going to pull against. His name's Paul Lynn. I'm going to interview him Wednesday. Thursday, we don't have anyone yet. Friday, we have Annie Sakamoto, uh, CrossFit legend. And that's that's where we're at. Um I think Brian will suffice. Sevon, you should open up the link for Kate and James for the news and let others join again. The link for Kate and James? What do you mean, Brandon? I'm not sure what you mean by that. You mean the phone line? Uh, He had great questions and was knowledgeable about CrossFit. I don't remember what that guy asked. Uh, You should invite the caller for Wednesday who talked with... Oh, yeah. uh, The guy who was asking about scoring and shit like that. Yeah, that guy was good. Oh, I'll, I'm going to try to open the lines whenever now on. It's interesting, though. Someone made a comment that the phone link to join with video. Oh, shit. I don't know about that. Um, some people are complaining in the comments that I shouldn't let people call in in the middle of an interview. Yeah. Were you on that, Brandon? Were you one of the people who who who, who popped in? Yeah, if I just let people pop in with, yeah, that would be crazy. No, no one's calling in right now. It's 7.40. It's hard to get my mouth even to start working this early. No, I was working. All right. Brandon, do you do you have a relative named Jimmy? Do you know a Jimmy? Phil is calling now. No, no, Phil isn't calling. I'm telling you, the show's over. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Okay. Oh shit. Uh uh wow, you're right. He is. Do you know him? 
Phil, he, wow. Uh, man, oh man. Okay, he just hit me up. Maybe, I, I think we have to reschedule this show. Oh, really? That's so, you trained with Phil in West Virginia? What What's the name of your CrossFit gym? Is that CrossFit Control? Hmm. Oh, shit. You're right. You are right. There he is. Damn. Incredible. Incredible. Let's see. 40 minutes in. He's kind of in. Do you guys see that? There he is. Bam. Holy cow. Hey, dude. Phil, what's up, man? You got a bad connection. No, sir. We cannot hear you. Barely. Something's wrong. Barely. 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 Barely hear you. We don't have good enough audio on you, Phil. Sorry. It's really, really bad. Almost like something's covering the microphone. Almost like something's covering the microphone. Hang on one second. Okay. How about now? Can oh, you hear me? yeah, 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 yeah. Word, oh. dude. My bad, man. Like I've been dealing with a lot here in the past eighteen hours, but that's my life, man. Very, very crazy, sporadic, and random. Is your wife healthy? Yes. Are you healthy? Kinda, but yes. <laughs> uh, do you have? Do do did you get COVID? Do you have COVID? Uh, Shit, I lost you again. We lost your audio again, brother. Old uh, thing. I, I had that when it was new, you know, when it was cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. You got... <laughs> How was that for you? Um, It was all right, man. What's crazy is um, I think about it now. For two days, it was hell, like absolute hell. And I didn't realize I had COVID. For two days, I was like, I had the worst body aches. I never had body aches in my life. Like in my, uh, it was like maybe 1 a.m. Uh -huh. And I couldn't get warm in my bed. And I was like trying to wrap up under the covers. And it was weird that I passed out and I woke up around four. And then it was just like times 20. I was freezing cold. My body was like sore. Like I just got body slammed by like Zangief. I couldn't move. It was weird. So I had to go in my shower with the hot water on, lay on the floor and just sit there. And I fell asleep. And I was like that for like three hours. I wouldn't leave the shower. Um, I was like that for two days. And then finally I'm like, nah, man, um, I got to do something. I went to the sauna. I did a two hour session in the sauna, 10 minutes in three minutes out for like two hours straight. I lost like seven pounds. Wow. I popped, I, I, I chugged the Pedialyte and I felt perfect. And then my wife was like, hey, you should go get tested for COVID. This is two days later. I went, got tested. I had COVID. Did you lose your taste or your smell? Nope. Thank God. Yeah. Um, my, my wife pretty much had the same, had it the same way you had it. And uh, 
but um, she lost her taste and her smell. She had two days of body aches. Well, you just thought you had the flu or something. No, I didn't mean it was weird. Like, I didn't think I had the flu either. It was just like, I don't know. Like, it was weird, man. Um, it was just weird. It's like, I don't know if I was sore from training or sparring because it was like after a Saturday session, but it was only two days. And then, but I did have a fever. The second day I checked, I was at 103. And then my wife's like, hey, if you're, temperature doesn't go down in like 12 hours or so we're gonna have to take you to the er and then that's when i went in the sauna and i did that and then i came home from the sauna uh i chugged the pedialyte i took my temperature i was 99 degrees and i was fine but then the next day my wife made me go get a covid test and then i was positive this was like september of 2020 did she get it no oddly enough and that's weird because I got it and I was like, this is when it was like brand new and super scary and everyone's freaking out. And my mother-in-law got it. And my daughter at the time was only like three months. And uh, my mother-in-law had it or she had the antibodies, meaning she had it. And she was watching my daughter the whole time. I had it. My wife never got it. It's crazy. You have one, you have one kid? Yeah, one daughter. How old is she? 15 months. Oh, man. Congratulations. Holy shit. Your life's going. Yeah, man. Rocking and rolling. Are you fighting? And I, and I saw, I saw, I saw what you sent me. Um, are we, are, are you fighting still on October 23rd? You're damn right. I am. Um, so I don't want to, I don't, I'm, I'm not gonna. I understand. Go into that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so the thing is with a guy like Gordon, um, I mean, he's picking, he picks and chooses at this point, you know, and he's built that platform where he can do that. He picks and we lost him. Hopefully we didn't, we just lost him for a second and he'll pop back on. He was talking about Gordon Ryan being able to pick and choose. And for those of you who don't know who Gordon Ryan is, Google him real quick. It's nuts. It's nuts that Phil, Phil is a professional it's athlete. Best grapple on there. Yeah, I lost you. I lost you, Phil. When right, you said Gordon, Gordon Ryan can choose. Yeah, it's perfect because I'm about to go into the Wi-Fi right now. I, I was speeding to my gym, but he uh, he's at the platform now to where he can pick and choose who he competes against, and he's earned that right, you know. Um, so pretty much like Floyd Mayweather in boxing, Floyd he picks who he gets to compete against, who he gives his platform to, um, who he gives that big payday to, you know. Um, and Gordon's earned that right by turning jiu-jitsu into what it is nowadays. You know, like there's eyes on jiu-jitsu because of him. Um, whether you like him or not, he is the best grappler on the planet right now. Um, so I'm grateful for the opportunity. I know who he is and and his skill set and what he can do, but I'm not afraid of that. You know, I'm just going to go out there and give him hell. Is this training? Is this match with Gordon just training for your real job, for your day job? Um, for and for those yes, of you guys who don't no. know, Phil Phil's a professional athlete in the UFC, and he fights for a living. And I can't even believe the UFC is letting you do this. Did you hear any of that? 
All right, I'm on the Wi-Fi now, so I'm perfect. Can you guys hear me? Seem, yeah, seamless. So the, the the question is, is why is a professional athlete like yourself doing this? And two, yo, let's start there. Like, why do this with him? I mean, you have a, a crazy promising UFC career. To me, it's this. So, like, what people for, – for one, what people don't understand is I'm primarily a grappler. I'm tall. I'm long. I'm rangy. I have, like, the second longest reach in the UFC. And um, I end up winning a lot of fights on my feet. But how I started was jiu-jitsu, gi jiu-jitsu. And I only wanted to do this to be a black belt. No other reason. And I remember uh, Reese Hall. That was my, that's my first trainer. It's a buddy of mine. He's a black belt under Augusto Mendez. And I remember in the gym, they were sparring, right? And I just decided to spar as well. And I guess I did okay. This is 2011. And he was like, man, you, you, you got some hands, dude. Did, did you train before? And I was like, I never did. But I was like, yeah, I, I used to box in New York. I was just afraid to tell people I didn't train, you know? So I guess I, I had naturally half decent hands. So then I started dabbling in the kickboxing and boxing. But all while I was always in the gi, always trained jujitsu. So my entire career... Um, it's only been gi jiu-jitsu. My base is gi jiu-jitsu. So I've always aspired to be a black belt. I'm going to be a black belt. I've always uh, been into the grappling world, into jiu-jitsu guys, pause, or into following their careers and watching them. Um, so, But people just tend to think like I'm, I'm a, a fighter or a, a, a boxer. But what I do is grapple. All my fights, I pull guard, oddly enough. Every single fight I've ever been in my life, I pull guard. Um, that's where I'm comfortable. So, And I've been training with high-level guys for a really long time. Um, so, yeah, I'm not just the average UFC fighter. Where, where, where were you born, Phil? I'm from Brooklyn. And, and, how, and were you raised there also? I'm, I'm from Brooklyn. I moved to Jamaica, Queens. Um, and then I end up moving down to Palm Coast, Florida. That's where I went to high school. Um, and then I moved back up to West Virginia. I lived there for four years. My wife is in dental school. Um, a lot of good jujitsu in West Virginia. People don't really realize. Shout out to uh, Ground Zero Jiu-Jitsu. I got my purple belts up there. Trained with a lot of good guys. Uh, Sampy Hardin, Devin. Um, a lot of these guys, people don't realize there's a lot of good jujitsu in, in West Virginia. So... I moved there and then I moved down to back to Orlando, Florida to train with Julian Williams. And that's where I knew I had to be to get to the next level in fighting and grappling and anything combat sports. I knew I had to be here. Did your wife um, pick up her practice and move to Orlando also? Yeah. So the thing is, wow. Wow. Um, when I met her, she, we met through mutual friends and I ended up moving to West Virginia because I got a job opportunity out there on gas. And, she was uh, going into grad school and the dental program is a four-year program after your bachelor's. So she said she was going to, she planned on already moving to Florida. So it kind of worked out. So I knew I just, I was going to hang around three and a half, four years until she finished. And then we would pick back up in, in Florida. And that's how long have you, how long have you been married? Damn. Good question. Um, uh, three years, I think <laughs> three years. <laughs> And then how, how long did you guys date? Uh, 2013, we started dating. Oh, that's so, awesome. So yeah. you, you got a good, healthy, strong relationship. Yeah, we've been together for a while, for sure. And, and you say that people set you up. How, like, um, 
Phil, you got to meet this girl. Holy shit, dude. You got to meet this girl. And then they just set you up on a date and that was No. It? So, so what happened was I was living in Florida and I met uh, these girls from West Virginia um, spring break in Daytona Beach. Um, I told them I was older than I was. I told them I was 19. I think I was like 16 at the time. And nothing ever came of it, but they added me on social media, on Facebook. And then my wife was from their town. So my wife added me on Facebook back in like 2009. And we were just friends. And then one day we sparked the conversation like in 2000. 12 and uh she ended up she, i saw she was my friend for a while on facebook and then um i had a fight that week and we were talking for a couple months at the time on facebook and she said hey i'll come down and watch your fight and she came down and watched my fight and the rest is history holy shit pretty crazy um, did you win that fight yes i did um uh it was an amateur fight i was four and three at the time kind of just dabbling over 500 and I fought Russell Sweeney. I beat him to hell. So, uh, did you good. kiss her that night? Um, yeah, I did. And and what's funny is you won a fight and kissed the woman you're married to for the first time in the same night. Yeah. Pretty crazy. And what's funny That's is a great day. What's funny is, um, that was the last time I made 155 pounds. So she met me at Wayne's and I was 154 pounds emaciated. Like cheeks sucked in, I looked like death, and that was the first time she saw me. So it was pretty funny. Yeah, that's crazy. And you were six three at the time. Six four. I've been six four since tenth grade. Wow, holy cow. Uh, sorry, I know every inch counts. Um, <laughs> uh, when did you do your first um, jujitsu? When did you first ever do jujitsu? October thirty first, two thousand eleven. First time ever entering a jujitsu academy. Flag of Bushido. Um, I had a I borrowed a pride gi that came down to my knees. Um, and I didn't like it because I had shorts on and it looked like like when a when a girl puts on a top and you can't see the bottom. I just felt yeah, like a dork. Yeah, I hate that one. So my kids do jujitsu and most of the kids are dressed like that and it fucking drives <laughs> me crazy. So I hated it, but I had to wear that gi for the longest. And I, then I started coming in uh with like sweatpants on, so I didn't have like a big ass dress looking gi on. They let you do that? Yeah, my coach at the time. It was kind of a little hole in the wall gym, but we got results there, man. There's a, there's a, I'm looking at my notes. There was something, there was something you said that basically you've only, oh, here it is. You've never taken a, a day off except for the one week, uh, except for one week when you broke your finger since October 15, 2011. So you've started and you've been trained, you've basically been training 10 years straight. 10 years you, straight. And that's, and, and I mean that, like, so, um, minus I was moving tile and I smashed my finger. I, I was going up the stairs and I slipped and I kind of just leaned forward into this, uh, stairs in front of me and the tile smashed my index finger and it was just smushed like a little pancake. And I had to go and they wrapped my hand up. Um, and I was out for like six weeks, but I wasn't even out for six weeks because as soon as the cast got on. I was still in the gym, like kicking the bag and doing stuff like that. Um, so that was the longest I was ever out. Um, really like a total week I was out of the gym and then I was back in there kicking the bag, doing something. 
I understand that dedication. You know, this week, someone, uh, a friend of mine who's fucking richer than God is like, hey, bring your family down to this hotel. Um, the, I got you this room. It's 3500 a night. It's right on the Pacific Ocean. You and your whole family can stay there and you visit me, blah, blah, blah. Dude, I had four podcasts to do. I'm not, I respect it, man. I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm in a race to 500. I respect and, it. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not fucking around. It's crazy. It's fun. It's fun being this focused. It's good, man. Like, um, I, I, I see the. Uh, you could see the. I saw the end goal. You know, when when many people didn't, and um, now just getting to where I where I am, it's just more motivation that I can keep going. Oddly enough, it sounds crazy. Um. There was a point in time I lost my UFC debut. Um, I still think I, I technically won. I lost, so no excuse. Who but, is that um, against? Gabriel Green. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you know they the commentators thought you won that too. The thing is this: I so watched like, that fight last night for the second time. I, I lost, right? I lost because they said I lost, and there's a loss in my record. And right. I'm not, I'm not the guy that's like. Yeah, you were cool about it. Yeah, that harps on it. But me, what got me upset about it was. Even my coaches and my corner, we were congruent with what I was doing. So, like, when I came into the corner, and I'm the easiest guy to coach. Like, if you, if you're, if I'm ever mic'd up, the first thing I say is, "Am I winning or losing?" That's what I say to my coach. I'm not like you don't gotta amp me up. Tell me what the fuck's going on, like right now, and I'll try to fix it. So every time I sit down, I say to Julian, "Am I winning or losing?" He goes, "You lost that round." Second time uh, I sat down, the first round, he goes, "You won that round." Blah 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 blah. Second round, he goes, "You lost that." that round it's close you got to take them down you got to hold them down blah 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 blah. so i did everything that i was asked of me um they they counted the knockdowns they counted his leg kicks as knockdowns the only thing that's odd about that is they gave him four knockdowns or they gave him three knockdowns he knocked me down four times with leg kicks so if you're going to count that as a knockdown which is fucking weird they they don't do that you got to give him four knockdowns so it was just it was just weird. I know he damaged my leg. Those just a little lapse in my UFC debut. I was just kind of like caught in the moment, not checking leg kicks, just standing there. But I totally outgrappled the kid. Um, I slept him a bunch of times. I controlled him a lot, but I lost. No big deal. I mean, I, I want to say you dominated the third round, which is crazy that one of the judges scored it like, I forget, 30-27 or whatever they did. It was just fucking crazy. I was just like, what the fuck? Yeah, they gave him a, a 10. It was 30-27 that round. And there's a tough five kid, by round. the way. Tough kid. Fuck. Yeah, he's, he's, he's he is ungodly tough. I give him that. Um, you cracked him. I hit him with a with a hard, hard shot, man. I usually, you know, but he just turned his fucking head and kept coming. But I held him down, man, like yep. three minutes and 40 seconds out of five-minute round. I don't know how you lose that round, you know? And you were mashing him, too. You weren't just holding him down. You were you were making him look bad. It's weird. But, I mean, on to the next, you know. Uh, next fight, I end up, ended up winning. But, um, uh, oh, yeah. Like Do you ever was, feel bad? Do you ever hit – do you ever feel bad when you're beating someone up? Never, because when I'm in there, it's never like – it's never – it never feels like a fight, if that makes sense. It never feels like – I haven't gotten a street fight in a really long time. But, like, it's never like an anger thing. You know, it's almost like an out-of-body experience a lot of the times. After the fight, I'll, I won't even really, really realize what happened. But when I'm in there, I can't really lock in on the moment the way I can in the training. So it's almost just like me 
skill set versus skill set, like a chess match. It doesn't right. feel like a fight. If that makes it, it's it's. Oh, I I, it I, I can ima- I can imagine what you're saying. I haven't seen it in your fight, but I had Volkanovski on last week, and I in his first two fights in the UFC, he's on top of the guy punching the. And I forgot to we got disconnected after an hour and a half of the of the interview, but um, he's on top of a guy in his first two fights, and basically he punches a guy like thirty times unanswered in the face. No shit, it's it really is like thirty shots. Holy fuck! And it's like. I remember as a kid watching George Foreman do a fight. I don't remember what fight it was. It was the first time I'd ever seen a, a, a fighter ever do this. But he looked up at the referee like, dude, you going to stop this? Wow. And, and like sometimes I just think like I don't know who it's worse for, the guy who's throwing the punches or the guy who's taking the punches. But at some point, like you have to know it's over, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, true. But and then. It's just, it's hard for me. Like, so I watched this last fight and I was upset because. When you say the last fight, you mean against Orion? Yeah. So like after the fight, I was like a little cloudy and I've never been that way. Like I had a little fog, you know, like I'm like, man, I don't remember getting hit, but I watched the fight back and I got cracked like three times really hard because I was so out of it. You know, I was just standing there holding my breath, swinging like a maniac and and right there, I clean him up. I mean, the gym, I get him out of there 100% of the time. But I was so out of body that when I heard him, I was just standing in front of him swinging. And he hit me like three times. And I just go like this, like this. And then I was just unaware. So then after the fight, I was like foggy for like, you're the first person I'm telling this. I was foggy legit for like a week. And it was pissing me off. And I was like, what does that mean? Like you go to damage. think of a word and you can't and you can't draw it I'm down. From the cloud. What do you what do you mean when you say, say cloudy? Like like what do you mean cloudy? So like you're trying to think of a word, but you just can't pull it out of the cloud. Like it's just yeah, no, no, no. It's not that. It's almost like I don't know if you've been hitting the head a bunch, but I don't I don't enjoy no. taking damage. We're not designed to take a trip. <laughs> I don't like taking damage. Um, but it was it's almost like a Ah, it's just a, a little cloudy. It's hard to explain. Like you just, after a rough sparring session, you're like, oh, I, I need to chill for a couple of days. But it was like that for like a week. And I would wake up and I would kind of be in that little daze, a little, little light fog. But I'm like, then I watched it back and I realized that he kind of cracked me a couple of times. So, and that's a part of me learning, a part of me growing. Um, but yeah, I was so out of body that I was just standing there taking shots when I didn't need to. He was hurt. He was out of it. But um he, he landed some really good shots on me. Yeah, that was violent. That that that's a that was another really man, both those guys you fought were so fucking tough. Why why did Gordon Ryan choose you? How did that match happen? Come on man, why not? Uh, why I not? know, I know. No, tell but, me, uh, tell me, tell me. But here's the thing, like in the in the jujitsu world, here's the thing. For me, Gordon on top of him being amazing at jujitsu, these guys are fucking boring, man. They're boring. They're weird as fuck. They just are. And it's hard to build something just off of the, just off of the sport itself. Cause everything now is like entertainment. So minus the people that train jujitsu, it's going to be hard to get eyes to watch jujitsu 
from just the consumer, just an average bear right. bar. You know what I mean? It doesn't yep. know anything. I would, but, and just so you know, I would have, I would have never even known about the match except for the fact that I know, you. like, I was already interested in you, and that's how I got brought to Gordon Ryan. It, I'm embarrassed to say I didn't even give a sh- two shits about Gordon Ryan, even though my kids have been yeah, doing yeah. jujitsu for three years. Like, it wasn't my scene. My scene was Copy. like the UFC scene, and then my kids jujitsu. But, but you brought me to him, so, so I'm feeling you on that when you say that those guys are boring. Like, I get it. It's not the UFC. Yeah. So, like, and so what Gordon has done. And I'll give him that is he has kind of brought the average consumer to jujitsu and it's not, not, not that big, but there are still people that don't really train that have kind of tapped into jujitsu a little bit and they're trying, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to grow the sport and they, they want polarizing people in jujitsu. So like my uh, match with Cody Steele, that was my first high level jujitsu match, right? And everyone was, like, making a big deal that I got that match. He was ranked. I was unranked. Blah, 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 blah. But still, like, these people don't understand. Yeah, I'm a fighter. They don't understand, like, who I train with every day and the looks I get, you know? I train with Adolfo Vieira, uh, Jacare Souza, um, tons of tons of guys in my gym. Like, you can't see anybody at my gym that's not a black belt. This, this, this guy's a black belt. You know what I mean? Like, this guy's a black belt. Like, every there's so many black belts at my gym. And not just black belts, like world-class guys you know and i've been training with these guys for a really really long time and i've been getting a high level look for a really really long time so i know i can compete with these guys so they gave me that masters cody Steele. um i was very tentative because i didn't know you know even though i did train with these guys i didn't know what it would be like to be out there in that setting um he was very strong and explosive for like four minutes And then he just withered. And I remember, like, I was telling myself, Phil, don't don't let him get to a choke or something because he's going to finish you because he's such a high-level guy. Then he got to those positions. I was like, oh, it's just like the gym. Then I felt him fading, and it was a weird feeling because I couldn't punch him or kick him in the face or do anything. Like, I just had to keep grappling with him. So, but I I knew I But you let him know when he took that cheap kick at you. You let him know, hey, dude. Yeah, it was. And and, and I will dot your eye. It was kind of weird. It was kind of weird because they kind of they kind of boosted that up in the commentary. They're like, and if I knew that, I probably would have just kicked the shit out of them. They were like, oh, yeah, Cody Steele has been working on his Muay Thai, actually. And I'm like, no, nah, don't bring me in here for that. We're grappling. Yeah. You know what I mean, it was pretty sloppy, though. And you, I like what you did. You let him know. You threw some yeah, hands, like, like just friendly hands and like, hey, dude, careful. But still, it, it still pissed me off a little because after I watched the commentary back and they're like, He's been working his Muay Thai. Wait, no, don't bring me here for that. You, you bring me here for Jitsu. Uh-huh. If you want me, if you want that, I'll just beat the shit out of this guy, and then and, and we can do it that way. But <laughs> right. so, but after that, I had like a good interview. Um, and oddly enough, right, the post fight interview, they're like, "Who do you want next?" I'm like, "Who do you expect?" I said, "I'm here for the best." I said, "I want Gordon, Craig Jones, Taza. Give me those guys." And the very next name I get is Gordon. But they hit me up after, like, Phil, man, like, you have such a good personality. You speak well. We want to have you back. Fast forward. I'm just at my store, Bump Box Orlando. Shout out to Bump Box. Yeah, I want to I want to circle back around that to talk about Bump Box. And I want to talk about Jamaica Queens, too. But go on. <laughs> and um, so I'm at my store hanging out. And Mike Sears hits me up from Flo, Hollywood Mike. Gucci glasses, Mike. And he hits me up. He's like, hey, Phil, what are you doing in October? And I'm like, well, I'm chilling. 
uh, I got a fight possibly December, November. He's like, what do you think about a match versus Gordon? And I'm like, Gordon who? And he's like, Gordon Ryan. I'm like, yeah, I said, I, I said, uh, sounds good, man. Let me hit up my manager. I'll let you know. Mind you, I'm going to say yes, of course. I just, I, you can't be too excited, you know? Right. So I, I hang up the phone, just go about my day for another hour, call him back so we can do it. Wait a second. Do you call your wife right away? No, like when, no, no, no. You, oh, you don't? You don't call your mom? You don't have someone? You don't tell someone, oh my God, like, holy fuck, they want, oh. want me to fucking fight Gordon Ryan. I yeah, I hit him. Call I hit him my, my wife in a my second. Partner. Uh, he okay. just, just walked by there. I hit him up actually, and I told him, and I was like, yo, what the fuck? I hit him my coach. No one believed me. They're like, sure. I'm like, bro, I'm telling you, I'm grappling Gordon. So after like me telling a bunch of people that I was grappling him, close people, um, I called them back, started uh, negotiating numbers. I threw out an astronomical number at first. That's how you got to start. You got to start high, you know? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I threw out a, an astronomical number at first. And um, and they um, obviously shot me down. And then we met in the middle ground. And then uh, we came came to an agreement. But they said, and it was cool because he asked for me. You know, they said he he wants a fun match when he gets back. He wants an exciting match. He wants someone that's not going to stall and, and is going to go for it. I said, let's do it. Do you know him? Are you guys friends? Like, you guys have you guys had lunch or anything ever together? Um, do you guys go to the beach together? No, in that in that, no. in that aspect, no. Um, he knows of me, and obviously, I know of him. Um, I've known of him for a long time. I've kind of been like following his career. He, he's reached out a couple times. I've reached out to him a couple times. Awesome guy. Um, I've seen him in the UFC PI bunch. Um, uh, Craig Jones is a really good friend of mine. Hang on one second. These guys are... I'm trying to get away from my sound. You're good. You're good. You're good. You still sound clear. Okay. But, um... What's yeah, he doing so like, in the PI? What's he doing in the PI? Is he is he thinking about joining the UFC? So, um... No. Hang on one second. So, I got I got people here. Hi. Hey, what's up? <laughs> um, you want to hop, hop in the class? Yeah, hop in. I'm going to bang this out, probably like, and then I'm going to come. All right. What's good? What's good? What's good? Do I you own that gym? Say again? Phil, do you own that gym? No, uh, Julian Williams does. Uh, Julian Williams, he's black belt. His dad is Reggie Williams, like uh, Bengals Hall of Famer. Holy sh- um, Uh Bengals Hall of Famer. You mean uh, Philadelphia? Didn't he, Reggie Williams play for Philly? Phil, Phil, the he Philadelphia Eagles? I haven't watched football in 10 years, but 20 years, but I used to be religious about it. No, uh, number 57. Um, number he wasn't 57. a Philadelphia Eagle, a giant dude. He was huge, right? Reggie he's Williams? He's, I'm, I got to ask, Jordan, but I want to okay. I want to say he only played for the Bengals. Okay, okay. But yeah, no. Um. So yeah, he was at the PI. I don't know why he was there that one time. And um, in 2015, actually, I was in a grappling tournament with him. It was a brown belt, absolute. I was a blue belt. Um, I made it to the semifinals. I lost to a kid from Ecuador. Um, and he submitted everybody. He made it to the finals versus Nick Brown. And he, he beat everybody. Um, and then, like I said, me and him just kind of were friends on Facebook, on Instagram and Facebook. And we kind of just... Said what up here and there. Craig Jones came to my gym a bunch of times. Uh, so his boys are cool with my boys. I'm cool with his boys. 
and we're kind of kind of cool that way, you know. Oh, someone in the comments just said because we're live. I don't know if I told you that, but someone said you're talking about Reggie White, Sevon, not Reggie Williams. My bad. Someone said for me to ask you about Fat Devin. Yeah, Fat Devin. That's that's my boy, man. He's from uh, West Virginia. That's the dude's name. You call him Fat Devin? No, no, he's not. I make fun of him. He's not fat by any means anymore. Oh. He's a he's a brown belt. Um, uh, he owns a CrossFit gym in Morgantown, West Virginia. Oh, okay. And that and, and I used to be I used to work for CrossFit. I was an executive over there for like 15 years. So that's yeah, Devin, Devin Footen, F-U-T-T-E-N. And um, yeah, man, he was one of the guys that when I was in West Virginia, uh, trained with me every day, um, helped me grow while I was there. Him and Sampy Harden. He actually is the reason I'm on your podcast. Um, he called me and he was like, dude, you're supposed to be on like my fucking favorite podcast. I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, you fuck. What's the guy's name? Devin. Devin called you? Yes. He called Tell him me. I give him a big hug for me. Tell him thank you. I was like 37. I was just about to get off the show too. When I, I've been no showed that you that you're that you would have been the fifth guest. You know Daniel Rodriguez? He he's the 15th ranked welterweight in the world. Yeah. Mexican dude. He's no showed me twice. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But I was like, okay, the welterweight class is really that that's the class that no shows me. Hollywood. Um when when I I had been, I had made I had made a bunch of shows for ESPN I'd made a bunch of commercials I'd produced I directed I had made some movies but I never really like believed in myself and then one day I was doing this job I was shooting um for a company called Vitamin Angels and I was working for this guy his name was Howard Shifford Schiffer and we were in India and all of a sudden like he was treating me like I was like a real this is I don't know 20 30 years ago and he was treating me like I was a real life director like he believed in me. He had faith in me. He was treating me like a professional. It was so fucking weird, you know? And and I and it stuck. All of a sudden I believed in myself. It was so weird how he gave me that. I feel like something like that happened to you too. Like somewhere along the line, like I, I heard you say in the interview, I think it was with James Krause on MMA Uncensored or something, but like you didn't you didn't believe in yourself and other people around you believed in you, and then one day it's like wham. It transferred. That's that's, that's crazy, man. Um you do, you do your homework. That's crazy. But so oddly enough, man, it's not like I don't believe in myself. Right. But yeah, it's I, not like you don't believe in yourself, but like you don't you don't take the identity on. And then all of a sudden you're that. Right? I'm not the guy like I'm not this guy. I'm not the guy that's like, I'm going to fuck him up. I'm going to knock him out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like my thing is this. Just because you you say something, it doesn't make it true. And, and in this in this sport. So many guys so often just talk shit, you know, and where I'm from, you, you got to do something, you know, like, so I kind of got out the mentality just to, just to say things, just to say, it. and, and in MMA, they just do, you know, like, um, and for the longest, even when I was on a seven fight win streak, I, I, it's not like I didn't believe in myself. I would go into fights and I'm like, you know, I'm gonna go out there. I want to win. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, I don't know the odds saying I'm gonna lose. Maybe I'm gonna lose. You know what I mean? I think about that. Not until my contender series fight i really was congruent with the idea of i'm gonna win this fight and i still won fights but i really believed it i was watching it and i hate doing pre-fight interviews but i gotta learn how to get out that funk and do them but i remember uh he was doing leon shabazi and he was doing a good good guy um he was doing a pre-fight interview and they were just so dismissive of me Right. And they were like, he's like, yeah, I should be the guy that fill on a one day's notice. I'm going to do this to fill. I'm going to do that. He does it. And I'm just like, 
watching it and kind of like not worried. I'm like, damn, man, you know, it's going to be a tough fight. But I'm just like, does this guy know something I don't know? Like, am I not allowed to fight back? Like, the fuck does he mean? Like, I'm just going to, like, I'm just going to lay down? Fuck this guy. You know, and I was thinking like that. I'm like, no, dude, there's two guys in there. I can win. Why can't I? Why can't it be me? You know, why can't I be the favorite? I'm never the favorite going to fights. I'm always the underdog. Every single fight. I think my next fight after starching this undefeated kid, I think I'll be the favorite. I don't give a fuck, though. But it was the first time I was like, fuck this guy. I'm going to win. And I went in there, and I I felt it, and I knew I was going to do everything in my power to win. And going forward, I would go into fights, and I would be 100% congruent with the thought, like, I can win this fight. It, it just clicked. It just happened. After that, then it just – but then before that even, <laughs> um, I was with guys and around people that in my head were way better, right? So like, I uh, I uh, I've been cornering Jacare Souza since 2018. Oh, um, that's a great story, by the way, too. What what a great story! I heard you tell that story. Awesome, awesome guy. Like people don't understand how awesome of a human being Jacare Souza is. You know, like fucking so much money could do could have anyone in the corner he wanted to. Jose Auto is literally his best friend, legend. And when I met him, he invited me in his corner. I'm like, this is weird. This is for Derek Brunson. This was the main event. I'm like, why the fuck does this guy want me in the corner? I was three and two at the time, right? And he goes, man, man, you're you're good, man. You're good, Phil, man. You you're gonna be here, man. You have you have to see this, bro. You have to you have to feel this, man. You're going to be here, man. You're so good, bro. I I know it, man. You're so good. Mind you, I was training with him at the time, and this guy would take me to events, give me per diem. He'd give me a thousand bucks for the week. Wow. I, I'm in my own hotel room, fucking wow. double doors, um, hanging around with UFC guys, and I'm nothing at the time. And he always believed in me. He flew me to Brazil with him. Um, flew me to Brazil twice. Um, like I like I said, man. Anytime I'm with him in the corner, as soon as I land, he gives me a little envelope. Bank of America, thousand bucks, double door hotel room. I'm good. You know, I need anything. And he's done that his whole career. And he goes, Phil, you're going to be here, man. You have to see this. You have to feel this. You have to see the walkout. You have to feel the crowd, man. You're going to be here, man. I know it. You're good, man. You're so good, bro. And he's just always been like that. What do you do when you're in his corner? Right? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but I just, we have a game plan, you know, and I just try to, I try to be there. You know, I try to mentally, um, even though I, he's such a better martial artist, artist than me, I just try to be a third eye. So, for instance, I remember when we were in Madison Square Garden versus Chris Wyman, and, uh, Chris Weidman was beating him. He was jabbing him up and not really damaging him, but he was jabbing him and um, he was winning. And Jacare wasn't letting his hands go. He wasn't doing what I, what we were planning on him doing, what he said he would do. So I was just trying to instill what he said he would do back into his head. So I remember in between rounds, um, I wasn't allowed in. Only two people were allowed in. And, and then they had the cut man. And I fucking went in there anyway. And I said, look where we are. I said, you're going to fucking lose, man. I said, we're in Madison Square Garden. 
in New York. This is Chris Weidman's home. You're going to fucking lose, man. I said, you're going to lose a decision. You got to go forward. You got to beat this guy up. I said, unless you want to lose. Do you want to lose? He's like, no, bro. I said, you got to go forward and beat this guy up. You have to. You're going to lose. I kept telling him, you are going to lose in Madison Square Garden. You do not want to be on the judges' scorecard with Sarah Longo, Matt Sarah, Chris Weidman in Madison Square Garden, co-main event, and and have to deal with that away, the away team. And that the next round, I'm not saying it was me. He fucking walked forward. He started throwing punches and bunches. Like he never had the whole fight. Body shot, body shot, body, body head, body, body head, walking him down. Then he fucking cleaned them with an overhand right and just flatlined them. And um punches was, and it, bunches, punches and bunches. Punches. And if you watch <laughs> that fight, that's the first time in the entire fight that he started throwing combos. He was throwing four or five punch combos, starting with the body, finishing up top. And uh, he finished the guy. And that was probably one of the coolest moments I've had outside of winning my UFC debut is being in a sold-out Madison Square Garden and seeing Jacare come back and finish him the way he did. Is it, is that are, is, are you nervous as fuck even when you're cornering someone? Hmm. Or do you block it all out and it's just focused on Jacare? It's weird. So the first time, like, I are you crazy. ready to? Or, and I know you never would fight the other team, but is it kind of like that too? Like you're ready to fight the his corner guys? Not like really, but do you know what I mean? Like, there's. Yeah, I get what you're saying. It's it's not that vibe though. But yeah, no, okay. Yes and no. Um. Uh. So Jukau, I don't know if you know Jukau. Mm-mm. He is uh, Douglas Lima's coach. Okay. World-renowned black belt. Um, and it was kind of like a play thing to me until I was in the corner against Jukau. It's corner Mike Perry. And Jukau was a friend of mine. And I, I trained with him. And all week long, we were hanging out, eating breakfast. And he was cornering, uh, I think it was, I forget who it was. Maybe Jake Ellenberg. I forget. But he was cornering against me. And we were both on the fence, and they were introducing fighters. I looked over at him, and I seen him, and I said, like, what's up? And he he he, he kind of looked at me and was like, <laughs> and I'm like oh, oh, I said, like, oh, this is what we got to do. So he kind of forced me to be that way. I mean, ever since that day, I kind of am in the corner. I'm kind of locked in. But the first time I cornered, let me see. Okay, it was Mike Perry. So it was Mike Perry first. I cornered Mike Perry in uh, Nashville versus Jake Ellenberger. And I was nervous. Walking out, you feel the roar. Um, you feel it in your chest. And then when I walked out, I realized I was very nervous walking out. Then I'm like, man, nobody's fucking looking at me. They're watching Mike. Yeah. Then I kind of took a step back and I was able to soak the moment in. And then every single time out, I cornered like six, seven times. I used that as practice because I knew I would be there. I don't give a fuck what anyone said. I knew I would be there. So I just used it as practice. And I remember the last time um, I cornered a big fight was Jacare in Madison Square Garden. My coach said, Phil, suck this moment in and because next time it's going to be you. And next time it was me. He was like, suck it in take this moment and i walked out and i used it no one was looking at me and i just walked out and i just felt it all and i took it all in i took my time walked up the cage looking at the crowd so i wouldn't be spooked and now i kind of 
thrive on it. I like the crowd. I like uh, the the pressure. Oh, that's good. That's good. You said you were born in Brooklyn and then you moved to Jamaica, Queens. How how many for people who don't know? That's basically New York. Those are just different boroughs of New York City, correct? Yes. And and then when did you and then and then after that you said you went to high school. Where did you say you went to high school? West Virginia or no Florida? Matanzas in Palm Coast, Florida. Okay. W- what was it like growing up in New York? So you went to elementary school and junior high there. Yeah. So brothers um, and sisters. Do you have brothers and sisters? Three sisters. Okay. Are you the old, youngest? I have uh, one older sister, and then two younger sisters. Okay. But and, yeah, and, I mean, say again. Ahead. No, go ahead. No, um, I, I love New York, man. Um, and at the time, it's all I knew. Uh, so uh, not until later on in life, I realized like where I was living and how I was living, you know? Con- concrete jungle? Like, did you ever leave New York City in your first 15 years of life? Yes, all yeah. the time. So like, for instance, my uncle um, lived in Palm Coast, Florida. Okay. But so we got to visit him um, pretty much every summer. And I realized how much I hated New York once I visited Palm Coast. And I, it's not like I hated New York. I just hated, I guess, how I was living. Um, and it wasn't bad, you know, like we just weren't rich. But I never had lived in the projects or in a building. Um, but I, I lived amongst it, you know, like East Flatbush and East Flatbush. South Jamaica is South Jamaica. So, like, the pink houses are right across the street. All my friends live there. Um, what are the pink houses when you say that? What it's do you just like, uh, it's just buildings. It's, 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 it's the projects, you know? So like, um, any building in New York for the most part in a borough is like, would be the projects, you know? Um, so I live, I'm trying to think mostly I lived with my grandparents. So with my parents in my grandparents' home, so we didn't ever have to live in a building or nothing like that. Minus when we moved to Queens, we ended up getting our house of our own. But um, I was always amongst it, you know. Um, both my parents were Christians, grew up in church. So great parents, they instilled a lot in me. But I just, I grew up amongst that, you know. Um, rough environment. Like, I, I wasn't really allowed to go to the park by myself because the shit that's going on at the park is not cool. But um, just pretty much everything that comes along with with growing Growing up in East Flatbush, you know, like um, it's just not a nice place to be, but it, it molded me to, to who I am, you know, and I appreciate I love New York now. Um, and I enjoyed it at the time. But when I got to move to Florida, I didn't realize I realized then how much I hated New York um, because Florida's lifestyle is so much better. You know, like um, you get field trips from the school, you would go to a pool like I didn't see a pool. Or. The first time I saw a pool, I was like 10 years old. Like wow. The pool, the pool in New York is not the pool in Florida. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, the public pool in New York is like, it's like a fucking, it looks like milk. Like, the, you know, the water is so cloudy. Um, <laughs> is it in its indoor probably, right? Like at a YMCA no, this one, or something? This, uh, this, they have, yeah, one indoor, they, they have one outdoor, and but it's like, it's not like the pool. You know, people right. aren't going there to swim. You know, they're going right. there to chill and fucking do bad shit. You know, there's older kids over there. Maybe those kids are doing some type of drugs or dealing drugs. Or maybe there's like a, a little portion of kids over here actually playing in the water. Other kids over there fucking. You know what I mean? It's just kind of. Yeah. 
it's it's just the hood, man. <laughs> you yeah. know, so like um, but my family's from there, um, basketball's there, um food's there. So I love I love New York for, for what it is, but I do love living in Florida now, living by the beach, the lifestyle that's that comes with living in Florida, you know. Are your parents still together? Yes. And you said they instilled um, good values in you. Did you know that at the time or now in hindsight, you're like, oh, shit, I had great parents. Yes. In hindsight, um, when you're a kid, you know, you, you want to do what all the other kids are doing, you know, whether it's good for you or not. Right. Um, but I appreciate, you know, um, everything my parents instilled in me. And I remember I would always say, like, man, I wish I didn't know better. You know, I, w- I would be out with kids about to do some bad stuff and i'm like man i wish i wish i didn't know this was bad because i wanted to partake in things you know but my dad always tell me poppy my family calls me poppy like god holds you more accountable because you know better you know so not only should you be doing better you should be leading by example and i always wish i'm like man i would go out with my friends who didn't have parents who didn't have to be home ever um and about to do something i'm like man this ain't right, you know, and I would know it every single time. So anything I did, it was on my own accord, even though right or wrong, I've always knew right, you know? Yeah, it's weird. I was one of those kids who didn't know. And you're right. There was like a freedom to it. It was, it was weird. It was weird as I got older and woke up. It was like, holy shit. Like that shit. It's weird being a young boy, isn't it? Because 90% of the shit you do, you don't even know why you're doing it, right? Exactly. I don't think people realize that like, like if there's 10 of your friends hanging out on the corner and you're talking, then one guy's like, Hey, look, I can hit this, that sign with the rock. And then the other guy's like, I can hit that sign with the rock. And then someone's like, Hey, I can hit that moving car. And you're like, I can hit that moving car. And then the cops show up and they're like, why are you throwing rocks at moving cars? And you're like, is that, is, is I, don't, I don't know. Cause we don't have jobs. <laughs> exactly. uh, what do your mom and dad think about what um, the career you've taken? they're supportive man they're anything that i that i want to do they're they're going to support me so they don't really know much about it you know my dad's a jamaican dude he's like yo my son's a big time boxer you know he box on tv he don't he don't really understand like now i think he's learning more about mma and, and what i do but before it used to be oh he's a my son's a big time famous boxer you know he box on tv on espn but <laughs> it's cool that they you know, they, it don't matter what I'm doing. They're going to show love and support. Um, is, is your relationship with, since you've seen your parents stay together their whole life, is that like something like you put a premium on in your life? Uh, like, yeah. I feel like my wife, it's, it's my crown. My relationship with my wife is my crowning achievement in my life. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think subconsciously I do, you know, um, I value like time with my daughter and, you know, I try to make sure whenever I'm around her, the example that I'm setting is the best that I can be, you know? So I think the, and, and anytime that there's a lesson that needs to be taught or had, I kind of just, I kind of just find myself doing the right thing. You know, the more that, and anytime I'm in a situation that I need to, that I that there's some type of adversity, I always find myself remembering a, a lesson from my dad, or you know, what I mean, something that that it, it wouldn't be, have been there if I didn't have a daughter now. But now it's like 
I'm remembering things that he taught me and instilled in me every single day, you know? So, um, and I'm learning to love my daughter more every day. Like I didn't have that feeling like when she was born and everyone's like, no, my life changed. It was so crazy. It was like, for me, it's like, oh shit, here's a baby. I held her, looked at her, gave it back to my wife. Like it's a baby, you know? Of course I love my baby, you know, but every single day, like when seeing her crawl and walk and say dad, dad, and like, I, you learn to love love your kid more. So I see every day more of my dad in me, uh, more of my mom in me through my yeah. daughter. So it's a cool experience. I, I, I remember, you know, I, I, I'm with my wife and it's before we have kids. We weren't even married. We didn't get married till after we had kids. But I'm with her. I'm living with her. And she might do something and I might be like, bitch, are you crazy? Why'd you do that? But now that I have three boys watching me. If I did that to my wife, then they would think that's how you treat women. Exactly. So it's like I just gotta like, but and it's like that. I'm guessing it's like that with you too. You have to you have to be on your best because you want your daughter to see, you want her to be attracted to a good man. So you have to be the best man, right? So she's like, oh, that's I want a dude like daddy. You're, you're right, man. He like, treats women like great. I, gra- I I jokingly grapple with my wife all the time, right? And my daughter does not like it. Oh yeah, my boys don't like that shit either. It throws me off. I'm like, I'm like, so now I realize, like, no. I'm like, how does this little 15 month old know what danger is? So I'll grab my wife and joking around, grappling her, and like putting her in like a body lock or like triangling my feet around her body, and my daughter starts crying. I'm like, wow. So obviously I'm not doing anything to harm her, but I'm like even more mindful. I'm like, man, this little girl is watching. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. I can just say something to my wife. We could be in the car and I'll be like, "Hey, did you bring the tennis rackets?" My boys be like, "Hey, watch how you talk to her." I'm like, "Jesus Christ!" <laughs> like she that's funny. Three, she got. She's got three bodyguards. That's good. Uh, uh, Jason Whitman, February fifth. Is that the guy's name? Right. Yeah, Jason Witt. Witt. Jason Witt. Yeah. Why so far out? Um, February fifth. Does that seem like forever to you? Yeah, not really. Um, okay. Mother has uh, multiple myeloma. She got diagnosed with multiple myeloma a month ago, two months ago. My grandfather died of it in January. Um, she has treatment uh, that week and a second consultation with Dr. Kenneth Anderson in Boston, one of the best doctors on planet Earth in multiple myeloma. Multiple myeloma is a type of bone cancer. Aye. Um, so uh, that's kind of that was kind of a big blow to take, you know. And this just happened. So I told them they booked me for November 13th. And I I told them I wouldn't be there in a, a very angry fashion. I said, look, I don't give a fuck about any of you guys. None. I will not be there. You know, I will be with my mother that week uh, because she has fucking cancer. And I'm her son. I'm going to be there for her. A thousand percent of the time. I don't give a shit about this. This means nothing to me. And I had to say it like that to get my point across. And then they rescheduled the fight for February. So that's why everyone must know my mom was diagnosed with multi-myeloma. Um, and now I'm dealing with that, trying to be positive and proactive and um, dealing with that journey now. Wow. Are, are, are your three sisters still alive? Yes. Hey, I, I wonder if that's why your um your relationship with your daughter is growing. You know, I used to be terrified of my parents dying, like 
the the terrified is not the right word, but I was preparing for like the loneliness of it. And now that I have three three boys, it's kind of weird. It's like mitigated that fear. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, like it, it, I have to stay strong and alive for these boys. And and thankfully, both my parents are still alive. But but for some reason, the blow seems like it's going to be less since I have three little boys. Oh, I feel you, man. Like whenever I go through a any type of tough time, I always when I see my daughter, man, I'm I'm smiling, man. And like I said, I've been not like I said, I've been through some shit, man. Um here in the past two weeks, you know. Um last week my aunt died on the Tuesday. Um one of my closest buddies died Wednesday. Um he is his name is George Peterson. He is uh he was slated to win Mr. Olympia this year. Um one of the number three, he took third place last year and the year before. Um, they call him the Bull. He's from Jamaica, Queens. Grew up together, believed in me from day one. Um, he was here in Orlando. Um, I was talking to him, bought tickets, heading to school. Um, reached out to him, he wasn't reaching back to me. I reached out to uh, Justin Miller, his coach, and I'm like, Yo, what's good with George, man? I haven't heard from him. Um, he's oh, he's in his room dressing. I'm like, all right, cool. This is uh, before prejudging on Friday, last Friday. I'm like, all right, cool. He's chilling. Um, so I'm, I'm, he usually gets back to me, but I know he got a lot of interviews, you know, he, big name bodybuilder, man. Um, so I'm just letting him do his thing. So it's just kind of weird that he won't even respond. So I was like, fuck, Justin, what's good? So I'm like, let me just head over that way to the hotel. And I started heading that way. And then Justin, I saw a poster of him. He hits me up. Um, they went, um, he went to his door, his room. They, he wouldn't respond. They got, uh, they got uh, someone from the staff, and they opened the door, and he was in the his room, dead, face down. And um, the EMTs came, and they said he he'd been dead for a while. He was cold, um, so they're just still trying to figure out what happened to him. That happened last week, and it sucks because his funeral is the 18th, and I'm scheduled to fly to Austin that day um, and then I compete against Gordon the 20th and then the 23rd is my aunt's funeral in New York in Queens the same place too so I'm trying to figure that out right what, what happened but, to your what happened to your aunt how did she pass passed away in her sleep they said there was a little fluid on her lungs she went to sleep didn't wake up um, so just rough man you know just yeah rough. so this guy was um the, the bull was competing at the Olympia and he passed in his room during the competition week. Yeah. So prejudging was, was Friday. He passed away Wednesday. You think it was a weight loss thing? I don't know, man. I don't really care to be honest. Like everyone's like trying to figure out he's just, he's gone, you know? Yeah. That, yeah. That sucks. So it's yeah. like, I'm, I don't know if like it matters. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if I'm selfish. Like I don't really give a fuck about, thinking about anyone else like trying to figure out what happened i don't know what that matters because he's gone you know right so, right right just shitty man great more guy reason, great human being more perspective to value every second you have with your wife and your daughter yeah for sure hey is, is james I, I, that did you know james Krause before you did that interview with mma uncensored no man you guys had a great rapport yeah, no, he's an awesome guy, man. I'm, I'm, you know what I mean. Like, I'm the polar opposite of a hater, man. There's, and there's lots of haters in this fight game, and um, I, I look, 
and I see inspiration when I see guys like James Krause, you know, like fighters that have quarter million dollar vehicles, you know what I mean? Like, and it's not a, not a materialistic thing, but it's just to show like he is, he's, he's, he's doing well with him for himself, you know? Um, he's in real estate. He's a business owner. He's just dabbling in so many different things. And I, I'm inspired by that, you know? So instead of talking shit, I want to pick his brain, you know, I want to figure out how did he do it and what I can do to do the same thing, you know? So awesome guy, man. Um, I think he coaches that guy you're fighting. Yes, he does. Um, and nothing, he knows it's nothing but love, you know, it's just a business, you know, I'm going to fight the guy and then that's it. You know, I don't hate the guy. The guy's going to try to do his best to knock me out, do whatever he can. You know, I don't see him winning, but he's going to try his best and James is going to be there coaching him. And then that's it. You know, it's nothing personal. And then, on to the next, you know, but awesome guy, man. Um, awesome fighter, good role model, you know, just nothing bad to say about the guy. He, he really is an awesome human being. Yeah. I hope to get him on here. Hey, I, I've had you on a long time. One final question. And, and I'd love to bug you again, talk to you again after you, um, you, you get it on with Gordon, talk about the experience, but can you just, does the UFC just lets you fight anyone? No, Aren't they, no. Oh, so my thing is I just – I like to ask for forgiveness more than permission. Um, and I'm a businessman, you know. So I'm sure grappling isn't outside the question anyway, you know. Um, but I heard Gilbert Burns wasn't allowed to grapple anymore. He's competing at the level I'm competing at. But also it's like it's kind of weird not to allow us to grapple when you talk about it's what we do every day. Um so I don't know. Um, I don't, I, I, I don't think it's, I, I'm pretty sure we can, we're allowed to grapple. I don't know why Gilbert Burns wasn't allowed to, maybe because they got a lot of promo money in him and he had a fight coming up. But um, yeah, I mean, any avenue for me to promote myself and um, extend my platform and make more money. Let's, let's do it. Bitchin. Hey dude, thank you. Um, I, ho- I hope you had a good time. I'd love to. I can't wait to to watch the match on October 23rd with you and Gordon Ryan. And then I'd love to have you on and just have you just talk to us about what it was like. No, I have sure, to. Man. I have to guess you're just so stoked. Um, it's got to be a dream for any combat guy to compete at the highest level, and you're doing it. Like so, so many people probably would love the chance to go against Gordon Ryan, and you got it. Yeah, they say it, you know, but will they? You know, will they actually go out there and do it? You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and all the people can do is talk shit, man. But start i've never been fooled a day in my life man i'm from east flatbush you know what i mean like i'm from a grimy place man i've never been uh, scared of nobody i've never been fooled and october 20th I'm, it's not gonna be no different um start to finish i'm going right at that big motherfucker and i'm gonna try to take it to him you know whether i do or not i'm gonna try how much more is he gonna weigh than you i don't know i think he's like uh 230 or something 230 around there i'm I'm trying to be 200 pounds. It's not going to happen. Um, I'm 194 with sneakers on. I'm like 196. Uh, it's not going to happen. I'm just not naturally a, a big guy. I've been trying to put on weight. Usually I'm 187 to like 189 just day to day. But now I've been trying to eat and eat and eat. And, but my problem is I don't like to eat. It sounds crazy. I eat when I'm hungry. Uh, most people don't. So it's just like 
I can't put on much size. I'm just a lean guy naturally. So I don't give a fuck about the weight, man. Like I said, I'm not that guy that's he's the best because he's the not because he's bigger than everyone. He's technically the best guy on the planet. And it's good to it'll be good for me to go out there and and, and test him, you know, test myself. Yeah, it's gonna be dope. And people watch that on Flow Grappling? Yep. Awesome. 